Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend, Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? Am I Julio? Alex? (laughs) I don't know. Could just be some random nemesis I have that's just wearing my face. This is quite uh, a true possibility. Uh, As we just watched, it was scientifically possible 21 years ago, so who's to say it's not scientifically possible By now, it's just... They've mastered it. It's cheaper. It's covered (laughs) by your insurance by now. Now anyone can look like John Travolta. Uh, we are here today to continue the summer of Travolta. It wages on, much like a never-ending war. And <laughs> we're here today to venture back to 1997, the summer of 97, uh, not the summer of 99. Uh, uh, summer of 97 for Face Off, the alleged action masterpiece with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. It's alleged, a, alleged sounds a, right. It's a Travolta that we haven't yet seen on the Contrarians thus far. He's the bad guy. Yeah, as as we start basically the second half of the summer of Travolta, we're switching gears into action mode. Mm-hmm. I guess not just action, but John Woo action, which is, I would say, like the poor man Zack Snyder kind of action. That's a, a damning, damning remark right there, but. Uh, not one that I would completely disagree with. I mean, lots of slow motion, but no superheroes. So I really, I don't know what to take from this. Uh, the John Woo vehicle—is it a vehicle for him? Okay, you said there was one in the movie he did before this. Well, in Hollywood, I think Hollywood. Broken Arrow, like was a big his, one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did like uh, Hard Target with Van Damme, but I think that was not like an American production. And, but in this case, obviously, Travolta took a liking to him and brought him back for a second go around. And this was what kind of helped put John Woo on the map in Hollywood. Definitely after this, I would imagine he just he could do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, what price did he have to pay? <laughs> so currently standing at, I believe, 92%. I will check that in between uh, CC and Real Talk just to make sure. But this one's amongst the higher rated movies of Travolta that we've done so far. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Because it is an action movie, and you would think, I don't know, that, that I guess because we're all in the Academy Awards mentality, you know, action doesn't get recognized. So I always assumed that this was just, I knew that people liked it, but I always assumed it was a guilty pleasure. Yeah. No, they're like in full force displaying their face-off t-shirts yeah. and run tomatoes. The like whole. those critics went crazy for it. And not just for late 90s Gina Gershon. They like the whole gambit. The whole thing. In fact, like out of all the quotes I pulled, I couldn't find a single one that mentioned Gina Gershon. For shame. That's one more thing for run tomatoes to be ashamed of. <laughs> um, so uh, let's get into those quotes before we go into full-on Contrarian's Corner. Uh, we have Jay Boyar from Orlando Sentinel who says, It's sick, slick, and sensational. Total film, no critic uh, quoted there or named. 
says, what really makes Face of Tick, what sells the movie more than anything else, are the dazzling performances from the two leading men. Roger Hurlbert. That's like a Roger Ebert's knockoff <laughs> version. Uh, it's from, the Roger Corman version. Yeah, from uh, South Florida Sun Sentinel says, Face Off is a masterpiece equal to the action classics Seven Samurai, The Wild Bunch, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Well, one of those have been covered on this very podcast. <laughs> I don't know that I want to cover the other two. Mm, you're saying that they're yeah. like, like Face Off. Uh, Leah Rosen from People Magazine says, Cage is good. Travolta is better. There is a glee to his performance, a sheer joy at playing two roles in one. He's having a rip-roaringly good time, and so are we. Lisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly says, Face Off makes bad movies look worse and makes the making of good movies look like the most thrilling work in the world. Okay. It almost sounds like she didn't like it, but I guess she did. Yeah. Uh, Film 4, once again, no critic attributed, says, Sets new standards for a genre which plays it safe and predictable too often. I believe that was meant for Speed, which came out a year or two prior. Well, maybe that's why they didn't like name the critic. <laughs> just like ripped off somebody's review from Speed. <laughs> uh, Chris Borsanti from, from FilmCritic.com says, Possibly the greatest and definitely the most exuberant action film to come out of the studio system in the 90s. That's high praise. How dare you. And finally, E! Online, no critic again, simply says, Crash, bang, woo. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. Cheap, but I'll allow it. <laughs> so now, Contrarian's Corner, in which we uh, look at the movie's rating and run tomatoes. In this case, it's fresh, and we argue against it. That means that we're going to treat this movie like it's rotten. We're going to be one of those critics, two of those critics, that, <laughs> that trash the movie, regardless of how we actually feel about it. If you want to know how we feel about the movie, stick around for the second half of the show called Real Talk, where you will get Real Talk. Yes, this first portion we're like Armin White, and then the second half we're literally we should just rename it the Armin White podcast. <laughs> well, I would say Armin's Corner. Armin's Corner. He disliked Toy Story three because of the commercialization. There was too much advertising in it for him. Okay, I was gonna say what an asshole, but that's literally what we're about to do. <laughs> what we do every episode. Birds of a feather. Uh, Face Off is the story of FBI agent Sean Archer, played by John Travolta. The movie right away doesn't give us any time to figure out what's going on, put ourselves in any type of uh, time frame, know where we are. It's just a mustachioed Nicolas Cage shooting John Travolta in the back. That's burying the lead, as they say. Is Nicolas Cage killing Travolta's kid? Yes. It, he pulls a good day to die hard and shoots through Travolta to kill the kid. Yeah, uh, it's all black and white and slow motion as the opening credits are rolling. It's artsy child murder. Yes. The cheapest way to hook an audience. And it's made even cheaper and creepier by the fact that Nicolas Cage has a mustache. I've never seen him with a mustache before, I don't think. And I know he has sported mustaches before, but I don't think, you know, like there's a movie, uh, Bad Lieutenant. Air. Isn't Raising Arizona? Doesn't even. <laughs> oh, fuck Raising Arizona. Don't even get me started. I forgot about it too. That's, but yeah, okay. Well, but that's more like a, there's like a hick mustache. This one's more like a porn stash. It is. The John Holmes esque mustache. Uh, Nicholas Cage is playing Castor Troy, who's a domestic terrorist. And in this case, was it even established why he initially wanted to kill John Travolta? I think that's that's just that's their relationship. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they shoot at each other every now and then, innocent bystanders. Uh, 
just eat it. That happens a lot in this movie. Just wait for 90 minutes. You'll get Gina Gershon. It'll be all right. <laughs> uh, so we flash forward to six years later. They're involved in a, a ruckus of some sort, uh, a shootout here. Um, Troy is attempting to flee the country with some stolen goods of some sort. I something he has he has some badass gold guns that, that that's all that I can that and his, his brother Hunter S Thompson suitcase <laughs> with all his drugs and shit in it yeah and then and his brother not who, Liam Gallagher not Liam Gallagher also not Marky Mark uh, Pollux Troy played by uh, Alessandro Nivola who was yes Mark Wahlberg declined the role of I really I wonder where was Marky Mark in his career when he fear. turned this down fear so no no boogie nights yet. Because if this is post Boogie Nights, I can kind of see him going. Like, I'm not playing second fiddle to Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. I think Boogie Nights might have been 98 or 99. Not entirely sure. Speaking I'm there. P.T. Anderson's David. birthday, so happy birthday, PTA. Although when this airs in a few days, it'll be <laughs> when it makes it to air. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the shootout leads to Troy and Archer having a, a face-off in which oh, nice one, yeah, Alex. In which. Uh, Effortless. Travolta is able to somehow get tra- – um, Man, if you're having trouble explaining what happens in this sequence, I don't even want to know what's going to happen once we get to the actual science of this movie. So he gets him behind like a jet where he turns the engine on and it blasts him back down like a catter wall and it knocks him into a, uh, like a grate and sends him into uh, a, quote, irreversible coma. <laughs> Did they actually say irreversible Coma? On the Wikipedia synopsis, it does. Oh, okay. I thought that was hilarious. Did they add like a winking emoji after <laughs> the word irreversible? It was actually a link to the Monica Bellucci film, Irreversible. <laughs> Basically what happens is, unbeknownst to Travolta, they're keeping him alive because the crux of this is that Troy has let on that there's a big bomb in L.A. somewhere. Right. That's like one of the last few things that he says to Travolta before Travolta kicks him into a coma. Yeah. Uh, he sings. Hallelujah. So- well, no, that's earlier. That is. No. When he's planting the bomb. Yeah, no, he's in the L.A. convention center. Dude, I don't want to skip through that scene, though, because honestly, I i mean, that's the first time we see him, mm-hmm. other than the porn master. It's the first time we see modern-day Cage, and I just felt like, you know, we've had some, some feedback already. We're halfway through some of Travolta, and we mentioned that we're doing face-off, and then, of course, everybody's like, oh, Nicolas Cage, and... You know, does that mean that the summer of Cage is in the future? And just seeing how fucking out of control Nick Cage is here from the beginning, we wouldn't survive the summer of Cage. I I think we would just blow our brains halfway through because he's dressed as a priest. And I don't know about you, but I got the feeling that he was just off script the entire time. I think the script was probably like just two lines. Nicolas Cage dresses as a priest, (laughs) closes the bomb, walks out of the church. Maybe winks at the at the blonde, at the cute blonde singing in the choir. With that, he turned it into like the opening of Saturday Night Fever, just walking <laughs> through the streets, and then walks behind the girl and basically molests her mm-hmm. while singing Hallelujah. Yeah, and I just going back to the price that John Woo paid for all the accolades. He just basically he he gave Nicolas Cage a playground to just and, and set him loose. I think we could maybe do the Easter of Cage. That's about all we could really handle, I think. <laughs> just a solid weekend. Yes. Of nothing but Nicolas Cage. And maybe just the restrained Cage. We get leaving Las Vegas. And even that might be just pushing it. Yeah. Uh, snake Eyes. Because uh, Gary Sinise is the one that's over the top in that. Anyway, back to the lecture at hand, as Dr. Dre would say. Uh, 
what happens here is none of Troy's men are talking, uh, not giving any hinkling as to where this bomb could be. So they figure out a way, these scientists, and not Steve Jobs in their laboratory there. Dr. Jobs. That's, Dr. How, we, Jobs. that's how we refer to him for the rest of the movie. Uh, they conclude that scientifically they'd be able to remove Caster Troy's face and place it on Sean Archer so that he can go deep undercover, deeper than anyone has ever gone before. I feel like this is low-hanging fruit uh, here in our little contrarian's corner. Uh, corner. But it has to be addressed. I mean, this is the whole thing that the movie revolves around. Mm -hmm. Them swapping faces. Uh, which doesn't make any sense, right? The, the, they show, they have a whole sequence a la Jurassic Park and Mr. DNA mm -hmm. where they show Travolta how everything is going to go down. And they explain uh, basically that the mosquitoes had yeah. dinosaur DNA. And here they're like, look. We can rebuild your buddy's ear. So, of course... We can swap <laughs> your face with another face. And that's enough to make everybody believe you're Nicolas Cage. They don't, they're not the same body type. And they kind of address it in a very casual manner. As in, like, oh, we'll get rid of your love handles. That's not enough. Yeah. Uh, it's... I mean, they're not... They're, they're nothing alike. Maybe they're the same height. But... Even then. I, I almost feel like the movie would be better if they didn't even try to address it. They just tell Travolta, trust us. <laughs> he walks into a room and walks out being Nicolas Cage. And then you don't have me punching it's holes like the revolving your... door gag. He just walks in and then comes out. <laughs> Might as well. Mm -hmm. Because the, the science, the pseudoscience that they're trying to, to put on the audience, to Travolta's credit, his reactions when he's hearing this bullshit from Dr. Jobs, I mean, they're on the money. Because yeah. that was my face as I was listening to it. He keeps looking at everybody like... Is, is anyone else listening? Did anyone read this script? <laughs> yeah, uh, that it doesn't make any sense. It's 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 crazy, and also, I mean, this movie is like almost two and a half hours, yeah. right? Let's say it's two fifteen, two ten. If you remove all the slow motion, and then knock off another ten minutes by getting rid of all the pseudoscience, mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter. It doesn't add up. And after all, Travolta, Sean Archer is just a simple man with a family. Uh, he's had a strained relationship with his wife and daughter ever since his son was murdered. So, you know, this just adds a whole new wrinkle, uh, several of them, to his life's quandaries. But, of course, he decides to go with it because what can go wrong? He he runs out of options. He's like, all right, I guess. Cage me up. Cage, cage me up. He has the face successfully swapped, and then they basically just put his in, like, a fucking orb to be worshipped. They take Travolta's <laughs> face off. And just like it's basically in a holding tank, and they place Nicolas Cage's face on him, and then his voice just magically changes. No, no, no. They, they, they. Much like the love handles, they address it with just like a throwaway line where the doctor That's says, "Why I missed it?" Right. The doctor says, "I've implanted a chip on your throat," uh, okay. and then they do that thing with the. It's just like with a the computer, studio. They, right? Just they, like the Beyonce, they yeah. mix it and make him sound like Nicolas Cage. They they program it so that. Uh, until it matches 100%. But the doctor says, uh, anything violent might dislodge it and fuck it up. Even, a, even a, a really bad sneeze could mess it up. We got two hours of trouble. <laughs> In constant gunfights and jumping off a building. Yeah, and nothing happens. And then, I don't know if you even noticed, at the very end of his final struggle with Nick Cage, yeah. That's when it finally gets dislodged. Bursts, yeah. yeah, I guess Dr. Job was underselling yeah. how resilient yeah, like, this yeah, is. Yeah, Sandy. <laughs> 
part one of the mission is complete as the face has been transplanted. So now going deep undercover. Uh, he can't tell anyone. No. Why can't he tell anyone? There's only three people that know. Yes. And there's uh, only one place where they're keeping all the records of this. What uh, could go wrong? So Dr. Jobs knows about it. Uh, Travolta's contractually required black friend knows about it. And then the, I guess the other FBI agent that brought them the news, mm -hmm. nobody else knows about this. No. Why? I don't understand. Why can't he tell his wife? Isn't this the kind of mission where you would want as many backups as possible? Yes. I understand, like, the whole thing of uh, the uh, room for error for it to get out. But still, this is, like, state-of-the-art shit. We should have, like, some NDAs that some scientists <laughs> signed to follow this. But, like, this is the one thing where they decided not to trust anybody. <laughs> but This could completely go wrong, but let's just, you know, roll the dice. So Travolta, Sean Archer now wearing the Castro Troy face, assuming... I, guess, I, I was thinking about this while we were watching the movie. At this point, we might be better off referring to them as... Evil Cage, Evil Travolta. Okay. So this would be Good, good Cage. cage. Yeah. So, yeah, Good Cage, Archer, assuming the Castro Troy face, shows up in prison and affirms himself that. He gets in a fight right away and starts screaming, I am Castro Troy, over and over again. Uh, I think there's a little part of it that Castro Troy enjoys the, or uh, excuse me, Good Cage enjoys the carnage of it all. It, it's It's... Mixed, right? Because he he's kind of getting off on it, and then Cage will do these split second uh, reactions where he looks like he's about to cry. Mm -hmm. It's he's showing off. There's a lot of Terrence Howard esque shots of uh, Cage in this movie where he's just ready to cry, and I don't know why, man. There's a lot of that. Uh, we we actually haven't even mentioned that Joan Allen plays his wife, and man, Eve. she got a she got a thankless job. Because mm -hmm. she's basically nagging wife number one. Yeah. she She's not happy ever. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, I was going to list all the instances, but really, she's never happy. She's she's unhappy with their daughter, who's acting up in a very 90s way. <laughs> their daughter, Jamie, Dominique Swain, Swan, excuse me. Uh, and then she uh, she's not happy when Travolta tells her that, well, he's got one more mission that he can tell her about. Yeah. Uh, and so, but there's a lot when you're talking about. Let's just say next time you see my face, <laughs> it'll be off. Don't get used to this face. <laughs> no, uh, the, I mean, this is further down the line, but some of uh, Cage's most iconic Terrence Howard moments come in his interaction with Joan Allen later. Yeah. Uh, so, on top of everything, she has to put up with that shit. Uh, Archer. Is in prison and immediately, uh, Good Cage immediately tries to find Pollux Troy, uh, the previously mentioned not Liam Gallagher brother of um, Castro Troy, who at this point is Bad Travolta. <laughs> well, no, at this point he's just faceless. Oh, that's right. He's faceless body in Dr. Jobs. He's part lab. seven Jason, just fucking six, excuse me. Uh, that's like the second time in two weeks I fucked up a Friday the 13th reference on here. <laughs> My, for shame my street cred just dwindling you know it's fans like you that uh, have made it to where they won't renew the uh, i'm sorry i had to do it it's it's a, it's a pain man video games never gonna get updated all right well let's try to bring the mood back up here because <laughs> nicholas cage is alive and well or caster troy is he wakes up without a goddamn face, and he goes over and he sees like olmec the fucking floating face of john travolta in the water 
uh, like, I, hey, it's Danny Zuko. Yeah, I think he quickly deduces what's going on. He's and according to the uh, IMDb trivia, Nicolas Cage did not want to see what his face would look like ripped off, so they had to take all reflective surfaces out for this shot. Oh, let me put you at ease, Nick. It doesn't look anything like you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even when they're doing the shots of the the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, before they remove the face, already Nick Cage doesn't look like Nick Cage. No, Castor Troy in a coma looks just like a mannequin. Yep. It, it just because all the emotions drained. So oh, we, we don't know who that's it is. Why uh, it, he's not overacting, so he doesn't look like Cage. <laughs> Long story short, for a movie that drags it out, it really puts it together quick for this scene because uh, Castor Troy figures out very quickly what's happened. He has his two henchmen, one of which is Tig from Sons of Anarchy. They go and kidnap the Doctor. Just you know, why not? Bring him back, force him at gunpoint to conduct surgery. By himself. Yes. He had a team of like 20 people doing the job on... In the middle of the night. Probably no (laughs) anesthesia. And now we are birthed bad Travolta. Yes. So I I actually told you this and I said I will repeat it. Uh, There's this thing, uh, Summer of Travolta, we pick face off. And it's right now, even during Hairspray, we're kind of used to Travolta being the scene stealer. Mm-hmm. And now we're about 30 minutes into Face Off, and really it's been the Nick Cage show. <laughs> and uh, Oh, this is where the tides turn. Right. It's But not in a good way. It really hears... I mean, I wasn't crazy about what Travolta was doing with his character. He, he was just kind of like a burnout, and not really... That's not really what I want from my Travolta. I would like something more lively. Mm-hmm. But at least it was believable, and, and it was kind of a... A necessary counterpoint to Nick Cage's otherworldliness. <laughs> but now, because we have Caster Troy in the body of John Travolta, he we get evil Travolta, and he lets loose the way that Cage was letting loose. Yes. And the movie becomes just this dick-measuring contest between John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Not even their characters, but just the actors. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're trying to one-up each other and who can be the most outrageous in their line readings. That and also Travolta gets a lot of pleasure out of uh, taking advantage of his power and then also just from a standpoint of watching the movie i think he took a bit too much glee in mocking jesus in the closing act of the film uh but we'll get to that out of all the all the movies and the the critics quotes that would say oh this movie is too much scientology this might be the most scientology heavy movie because it just i am jesus (laughs) a womp bombaloobom Castro Troy is the new Travolta I have here in my notes, or as we'll refer to him henceforward, the bad Travolta. And, of course, one of the first things he does is pay uh, Good Cage a visit in prison. And lick uh, his face. He does. He says he misses his face and he's going to go fuck his wife. And uh, it's a pretty intense scene in terms of they're staring back and forth. And, you know, Good Cage, just the color drains from his face and he goes into a state of panic right away. Uh, bad Travolta, of course, informs him that, oh, yeah, all the records and the three people that knew about it are dead. <laughs> And it's pretty brutal, too. It's like fucking mob style. Like, they're just dousing him in gasoline, and they burn the whole building down. To be fair, I wouldn't expect any less from Castor Troy. Well, and there's no follow-up on it. The FBI doesn't mention at all that two people from the department were murdered in a big... Oh, yeah, it was an accidental gasoline fire. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a... He shows him the newspaper, kind of like to prove that this really happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a picture of Dr. Jobs, no picture of the two agents. Nope. Thankless roles, through and through. But of course, the main part of this is, you know, Good Cage is reacting like, how could this happen? 
I never could have foreseen anything like this. Of course, knowing where this bomb was planted all along, uh, Bad Travolta, Caster Troy, is able to go up there and disable it. He's the one who has the passcode, all that good shit. And, of course, he comes across as the hero. Yeah. He's the, he's the man now. Yeah. He, he's the guy. He sends uh, Good Cage a message via CNN because the prison has a giant TV screen that's that's showing CNN. It's like fucking 12 Monkeys prison that they're staying in here. See, that's the other thing about the time frame. They don't let us know, but these prisoners have these magnetic boots that they have to wear so they can't get away type shit. It's the year 2018. We've yet to develop that awesome uh, workout method for prisoners. <laughs> but yeah, he, he uses CNN to tell him, you know, interception, balls in our court now. He looks right into the camera when he says it, too. It's a really devilish Travolta. It's a very Jim Carrey Travolta, and oh, I don't know that I like it. say that, because I was going to say it's a very Jim Carrey uh, Nicolas Cage, because basically his role in this movie is just seeing how much he can test the elasticity of his face. Then <laughs> that's... I guess Travolta's very... He does have the Ace Ventura head movements here. Yes, yes, he does. Basically, Danny Zuko all growed up. That's what we're dealing with here. It's it's a mishmash porridge of performances, and I don't think they work very well together. Uh, we get one of many shots of Nicolas Cage crying in his jail cell. Um, it's not exactly explained what we can probably deduce. You know, he's just imagining John Travolta giving his wife the one up, and uh, <laughs> but he at this point is just desperate for any way out, and so through. A series of events that I don't know how the fuck he could have predicted. <laughs> yes. I wrote, uh, this, this is extremely weak sauce for, a, for an escape plan. I mean, if he was trying to get himself killed, then I understand. <laughs> it's almost like getting captured was part of his plan. <sighs> the throwback there. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a deep cut. <laughs> uh, so he steals a cigarette from a... Um, a guard. I was going to say a judge. Jesus. The most unprepared guard in that prison. Yeah. Gun down by the side. It's like they're all going to the feeding trough, and he's just there having a smoke. And Cage takes a cigarette, gets the shit beat out of him by some guards. I mean, the most probably the most dangerous prisoner in this, in this facility comes up to you in a confrontational manner. And the guy doesn't even... Yeah. He's, still, he's checking his Twitter or something. Yeah. Doesn't even take out his mace, anything like that. They beat the shit out of Travolta. Well, I'm sorry, bad Travolta. No, good cage. Good Travolta, good cage. Because he's Travolta at his core. Right. Yeah, this shit is like fucking Scanner Darkly. <laughs> so good cage takes a whomping from the prison guards. He still gets away with the cigarette, though, in a very uh, almost Ghost Rider-esque delivery. Is, Anyone got a light? Holding up the cigarette so proudly. So I guess his plan, sort of, was to incite a riot. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really help him much because all the prisoners are still stuck to the floor. Hey, the if Reindeer Games taught us anything, it's that planning your escape during a prison riot is the only way to go. That is true. Uh, you just got to assume that Isaac Hayes is going to be there and find a roach in his jello. Life will find a way. Exactly. When there's a will, there's a way, and there's Charlie's there and waiting for you at the other side of the, the tunnel. So he's taken into... I guess the torture chamber there at the prison where he's going to basically be, um, what do we call it, requiemed, where they put <laughs> lobotomized. lobotomized. 
they have the shock treatments. They have a, a big burly gentleman in there who they're just like basically shocking into a state of null. He's well, the, it, yeah, it's the guy that tried to beat him up earlier. Yeah, and so he's basically a vegetable at this point. Um, and Good Cage's plan is to somehow use this to his benefit. <laughs> because he knew somehow that there – I mean, if that guy – because what happens is – he gives the guy an inspirational speech as it's being strapped on mm-hmm. to get lobotomized. He gives the guy who's like puking his guts out on the floor. He gives him an inspirational uh, speech and gets him to attack the guards. I guess it's like an embedded trigger word or something. <laughs> like, you know, he hypnotized him one night. and It's in the deleted scenes. It's on the Criterion release. So we have to assume that Cage knew that that guy was already in the room. Yes. Because That's... if he had been dragged in there and there was nobody else being lobotomized. He would have had no help. Nope, he was fucked. And he somehow gets a cigarette lit and burns the guard with it. There wasn't even a cool like Toy Story shot of him with a magnifying glass in the sun trying to light his cigarette. Uh, but of course, he escapes the the throne, the lobotomization throne. Um, is stealing guns. He's not killing these prison guards, but he's, he's just, definitely hurting them. He's fucking them up for life. Oh yeah. Well, you know, he didn't kill them, but he threw a big barrel of sulfuric acid on two of them. I'm sure that didn't suck at all. Uh, to me, the best part in this movie so far is this shot of reveal where he gets out. He finally gets to the surface out. He's on the outside of the prison, and it's some big oil rig in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> but he knew that because he arrived that's by, what makes heli- it so by great helicopter. Is he, yeah. does, he acts like, oh, no. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> um, before Soil he f- green is people. Uh, before he finishes uh, his escape here, I don't, want to, I don't want us to leave the prison. Uh, Without mentioning that uh, John Carroll Lynch plays the head guard. Mm-hmm. And and you were like, who is that guy? And it's like, well, he's one of those that guys because he's everywhere. I, my friends uh, from College Station and I like, usually refer to him as the Zodiac uh, because he's you know in Zodiac. But I don't know about you, but I felt like he was taking a little too much pleasure in the going-ons at the prison. And just beating up innocent <laughs> prisoners. Yeah, I or mean – Not innocent but defenseless. It might be – I mean, it might be that I've seen him in like so many movies, and this might be the most rotten. And and like I said, he he was in Zodiac. He was mm-hmm. one of the potential Zodiac killers. Yeah. But here he looks really like just maybe there's nothing as vile as a prison guard <laughs> as an evil prison guard. It's uh, a it's a vile role, but it's still straddling the line to where he could get cast again. He's not the guy that watches Mark Wahlberg masturbate in Boogie Nights. I mean, that there's no coming back from that. Or uh, uh, you know, just keeping it Summer of Travolta. He's not uh, Dorian in Pulp Fiction. No, he's definitely not <laughs> the bad guy from The Mask. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to think if if he was the guy that watched Mark Wahlberg masturbate in Boogie Nights. I can't even do an impression of the guy. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> uh, more Nicolas Cage crying as he's atop the building. He's fleeing the scene, just dodging this helicopter. He's just kind of jumping from building to building until he finally just says, fuck it, and he hoops it off the roof of it. <laughs> and then apparently... You could have cut 20 minutes out of the movie by just reducing the amount of this fall. It's like from like 20 different camera angles. <laughs> In slow motion. Yeah, exactly. Um you just need one shot, the Vic Morrow shot. So we see him land in the water, and next time we see him, he is in the city. Yes. So Swam. <laughs> he, he went swimming. <laughs> <laughs> he found an emo. No, I think that's another deleted scene where he just, like, mugged someone on a jet ski and took it back to surface. I mean, I would hope. Or, no, he'd be crying and, like, telling them why he needs it. 
I'm really sorry as he strangles him. Uh, I didn't how, even think of that. How close to the shore? A dolphin. <laughs> now that's go. a movie you want to see is Nicolas Cage befriending a dolphin. Uh, yeah, I guess it's never established how close they are, how far he would have need to have swam. Is it like a tourist attraction that you know that prison is just? And they give up the search for him pretty quickly because <laughs> they cut back to the FBI headquarters and uh, they tell Archer that you know Castor Troy is dead and he's like, I want to see the body. We haven't recovered it yet. He knows what that means. <laughs> he knows he's not dead. Unlike unlike Nicolas Cage, unlike good. Yeah, unlike Good Cage, he's seen enough movies. He knows if you haven't seen the body, he's not dead. <laughs> uh, during all of this, we get one of our more awkward scenes of the movie in which Eve, um, Sean Archer's wife, uh, and Sean go to visit the grave site of Michael, their son that was killed by Castor Troy. So um, here we have Bad Travolta not wanting to make eye contact with the, the tombstone or anything like that. It's, it's a very so awkward <laughs> It's a very awkward scene. I almost got the feeling that, you know, Travolta had been having fun being Nick Cage, mm -hmm. hamming it up, and then suddenly he had to shoot this really dramatic, serious scene. Yeah. And he, and he looks, couldn't switch it off. <laughs> well, yeah, he looks really uncomfortable. Like he's looking off camera to John Woo and being like, can we just, <laughs> can we get back to the fun stuff? It's like, this wasn't, uh, it wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> <sighs> Well, also, by now, Joan Allen has has had sex with him. Mm -hmm. And so one of my She's notes... felt grease lightning, yes. <laughs> uh, one of my notes... At the end of this, we will have so many nicknames for Travolta's penis. It's wonderful. <laughs> the Archer. The, the, Ar the Sean Archer. No, the Sean Archer. That's a good one. Um, the does face it, offer. <laughs> The Sean Archer is when it's it's a sad penis. It's okay <laughs> with a scar. It's it. <laughs> Jesus. What? No, just one testicle. <laughs> Doctor, my my testicle was missing. The phenomenon is when it's like an all night affair. The phenomenon's like a twenty two year old erection, pretty much. Uh, I'm going to stop this before it gets out of here. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll save this discussion for the the, uh, the, the recap episode. The Travolties. The Travolties, yeah. Um, no, but um, so my one of my notes here is just how is it that Joan Allen does not figure out that? I mean, I don't I don't expect her to figure out the entire plot of the movie, mm -hmm. right? There's no way any sane person can figure out that that's Nicolas Cage wearing John Travolta's face. <laughs> That's a little too much, but I would expect her to at least acknowledge that her husband is not behaving. <laughs> they could have at least like had a, a shot to, you know, at least establish a little bit of understanding. Like she watches the Nutty Professor and has no idea it's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I mean that that would give us to the audience. Oh, okay, she's a little daft, so we can work. She's a little her. slow. Yeah, uh, she's the the dumbest doctor in that hospital. <laughs> And we didn't get the shot like on the first episode of Breaking Bad where Walt comes home and takes his wife and she's like, Walt, is that you? We didn't get a shot like that here either. The, yeah, we, we get everything except that. Yeah. We get a food massage, nice throwback to Pulp Fiction. And this is where totally it's like so fucking out of control. Excellent throwback to Pulp Fiction. Because they're trying to establish him as like being a better husband than good cages. And it's like, who the fuck am I supposed to cheer for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, say what you will about Castro Troy, at least 
he's making Joan Allen happy. Mm-hmm. She's having a good meal. She's having good sex. She's getting the attention that he's been that she's been demanding all these years. But then John Woo casts the line and reels us back in when he has uh, Travolta, bad Travolta, like fawn over his <laughs> pseudo daughter. He finds her in her panties and he says to himself, "The plot thickens." In a very creepy, well too delivered Travolta line. <laughs> it's. Yes, I mean, you want to talk about uncomfortable scenes, that graveyard scene has nothing on Bad Travolta leering over this underage girl. Uh, using uh, John Brown, or excuse me, using James Brown lyrics to woo her. Uh, yeah, it's not the, the only classic song that's desecrated by this movie. No. Good Cage, Caster Troy, or Sean Archer, makes it back to the city. He links back up with his crew. This is where this whole movie starts to pay off, because we get... Uh, he does some drugs with his former running mates and basically says his plan is he wants Sean Archer. He knows the code to his house. He slept with his wife, and what he wants to do is take his face off. And everyone's very freaked out by this. Uh, John Woo, I don't know if you can tell from his uh, filmmaking style, but he really likes to hammer it home. You don't so, say. <laughs> whereas most filmmakers would have been satisfied with sneaking in the, the titular line just once, mm-hmm. he has a whole sequence revolving around Basically, each henchman taking turns. Saying face off. <laughs> Take his face off. <laughs> then he adds like a little motion. Mm. It's uh, a little self-indulgent. But then again, you could use that to describe the entire movie. John Woo was seeing a generation of 14 and 15-year-olds making the face off <laughs> motion in their living rooms. So, Good Cage explains his plan. Then he also gets really fucked up on drugs and goes and passes out in the closest bed. And this, lo and behold, is when we get... In all her glory, late 90s Gina Gershon. Uh, it's quickly established that she was Caster's lover. They had a little thing going on, and that they also bred a child named it, Adam. Yeah, the most unbelievable scene in a movie that's basically a, a chain of unbelievable scenes is Good Cage rejecting Gina Gershon when she tries to seduce him. She jumps on top of him, and he pushes her off. Yep. I despicable. I I don't in a movie of unrealistic filmmaking. I know I'll, the most unrealistic moment in this film. I I'll buy the face swapping before I buy that. Oh, one hundred percent. You got nineteen ninety seven Gina Gershon just throw, that's like fucking that's like ninety seven Pierce Brosnan and the woman saying I'm all right I'm all set. I mean I know that you're in the middle of an action movie and there's other stuff going on but at the same I mean, time you could die at any moment. <laughs> Uh, he had, you, you never know what's around the corner, man. It's worth it just to take the risk. I mean, uh, Gina Gershon's brother in this movie, mm-hmm. he knows that lesson. He... Yes. This is very true. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other examples of people you would never turn down. Like early 2000s Tay Diggs, I think would be up there. <laughs> Grease lighting Travolta. Grease, oh, there you go. Or Grease lighting Jeff Conaway. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Before the seventh drink of the day. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. Well, he died of alcoholism. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> just right there. Insert just some political joke. MAGA. <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, so, in the weirdest, uh, most uncomfortable scene in a movie filled with uh, a bit of awkward uh, and uh, cringeworthy moments... Gina Gershon introduces uh, her son, Adam, who is Castro Troy's son as well, 
to Good Cage, who just starts freaking out and calling him Michael just because he sees a lot of his son in him. Yeah, that'll, I, that'll come in and later. Yeah, well, as if we couldn't deduce that just from, from that uh, bit of behavior, we also have John Woo cut to flashbacks of, mm-hmm. of the, the, the Travolta's real kid before he got shot. Yeah, it's like epilepsy type shit. Yeah. Like, calm down. We get it. Uh, Sasha at this point is a bit, you know, uh, Gina Gershon, excuse me, her character Sasha is a bit um, freaked out herself. So she tries to basically take her kid hostage, not hostage. Uh, she tries to bring in her kid to kind of nestle him and keep him away from Castor Troy. When Good Cage sees, um, is it a laser he sees or he hears the bullet? No, he hears the, right. what is it? It's like tear gas, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this all happened really fast. It takes like forty minutes, but but I guess it's happening because not <laughs> all to gloss over what had happened beforehand. But like Travolta's there all of a sudden, bad Travolta <laughs> leading the charge when like twenty seconds earlier he was beating the shit out of Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene at the Archer home where his daughter Jamie's brought back home by Hyde. Um, Hyde from that seventies show. Yes, not I would hope. Yeah, it's not David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> I think it would just be so nice if I could. <laughs> so he for- tries to force himself on Jamie, and then Bad Travolta comes out, and in a good guy moment, kicks in the window, just beats the ever-living shit out of Hyde. Once again, making you question, is it really is worth it, it for to the- be strong? <laughs> right. I mean, he is being a better father to this girl than Travolta was. Mm-hmm. Even when you factor in the creepy ogling, yes. he's protecting her from, from date rape. Glossed over that Hyde was probably at most seventeen there, and so <laughs> okay, so a bit of an overreaction to just beat the shit out of him, but but again, he didn't kill I'll, him. I'll accept that before I accept someone declining Gina Gershon. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, when you think about it, this is Castor Troy, so he could have just snapped his neck. Yeah, and but no, he chose to make a point, and then he also gave his, Jamie a butterfly knife and said, "In the future, if he tries that, stab him in the leg and twist it so the wound won't close." Some evil shit right there. So, back to the shootout at the loft. Yes. So we have Gina Gershon, her son Adam, and Good Cage, who hears the he hears the war on the horizon. What's about to come? <laughs> so he tackles them, says, "Get down!" And then a really awkward moment where he's like mounting the little kid, and he's like, "When did you get so brave?" Um, and then they put these headphones on the kid and start playing. It's somewhere over the rainbow, right? Yep. Okay. Ruining that song for everyone that's watched Face Off. And this little kid is just getting thrown around like the proverbial basketball in between just hails of gunfire. And this is where, again, the tone shifts because the movie's wanting you to root for Good Cage. But what that means is he's on the side of all these gangsters killing all these FBI agents. Right. All those FBI agents that get killed and Pretty much every single one of them gets killed in this action sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all have families. <laughs> uh, they're just doing their job protecting the country. Yeah. And, I mean, granted, he couldn't just say, stop. That man is, is an imposter. And um, they go and pull the face off. I think that by the end of the movie, we find out that he definitely could have. Yes. But we'll get there. We're not there yet. <laughs> We also didn't get a line of Travolta saying, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids and your dog. (laughs) That's all I wanted from this movie, to be honest. Uh, Danny Zuko beats the shit out of... Okay, we already covered that. Um, This leads to two things, the shootout. A lot of people die. Three things, excuse me. A lot of people die. Uh, 
Gina Gershon, Gina Gershon, excuse me, Sasha, mouth kisses her brother <laughs> as he's dying. He gets shot in the neck. Well, I think that he kisses her. Still, they have a big old mouth. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, she doesn't resist it. Yeah. She doesn't... She doesn't even no, actually kisses shocked. him. She like pulls him in, like collar by the collar. Pretty sure he pulls her. Either way, it's he, still he, weird. He goes. Maybe she was gonna kiss him the cheek, and then on the cheek, and then he he goes for the mouth, but, and then and then her, her reaction to that after it's done is like hurry back or you know because yeah. she doesn't know that he's been shot. Yeah, he's he's had that kind of magical wound that. Oh, it's it, wonderful. He has like a big hole in his neck, but he's been holding it. He yeah. has his hand over it. So it's anyway, not a... the brother and sister like mouth kiss, like open mouth. And right. That's they 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 go for it. But like Sasha and Diedrich. Like we said earlier, I mean, you're in an action movie. You know, every moment could be your last. <laughs> this guy does what what Good Cage didn't do earlier. Yes, he had Gina Gershon in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> He had been shot. He knew this was it. So they kiss, if we haven't established that already. (laughs) Open mouth. (laughs) Gershon and Adam exit stage left. He turns around, takes his hand off the wound, and like a fucking geyser. It's like the end of uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Like, it's just fucking shooting out of his neck. And I thought this was kind of cool. He just he looks at Caster as the last person he sees, or so he thinks, and just says, we had some good times, didn't we? Falls and dies. Uh, We get... Easily the most artistic shot of this movie, the face-off. the and, as Kim, Nice one, yeah, Alex. Where two in a row. it's a double-sided mirror, or it's a mirror on either side of a wall, and they agree to shoot each other. And so when they draw their guns, they're looking at their reflection, but in fact the reflection is their enemy. Right, so as, good cage. As Kimbo Slice would say, the, the enemy, the inner me. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, Kimbo. Uh, yeah, good cage. Is seeing his reflection, which means that he's seeing Bad Cage. Good Travolta is seeing his reflection, which means he's seeing Good Travolta. And they both, their reflections both have mustaches. Just to establish that they're the bad ones. Uh, And then third, the reason for this massive fucking, just almost entire second act of the movie is um, his brother. What's his brother's fucking name? Pollux. Pollux gets killed. Pollux gets killed. We get John Travolta shedding a single tear. Um, and like a real sweet moment again. Who am I fucking rooting for? He like ties his little brother's shoe. And then that FBI agent's like, why are you so upset? It was only Pollux Troy. And then, of course, he gets shot in the head. That was the last FBI agent. <laughs> Everybody was, else was already wiped off. Really red blood in this, too. Like fucking Halloween 2 era blood. The real Halloween 2, not the Rob Zombie. Um after this, Bad Travolta is in his office. He's over this all. He just wants fucking Good Cage dead. He wants this all to be over so he can have his face back and resume his life. Because he admits, I don't like living this life. I don't want this. I just He yeah, offers a fair trade, and Good Cage says, we can't do that. You've, you crossed the line when you fucked my wife. Far, yes. <laughs> and he doesn't even know about the daughter. <laughs> I think he has a pretty good imagination. <laughs> He's known this guy. He's been obsessed with and him he's for just years. Deteriorating more and more. Lack of sleep and <laughs> yeah. five o'clock shadow, crying. It's all going there. Uh, the head of the um, FBI, the department that um, Sean Archer is assigned to, has a heart attack. He's like he has he the early he, signs of a heart attack. He does not have a heart attack. He gets murdered. 
Well, he's like having some early. I think he like shakes his left arm out and he starts holding his chest, and Travolta just expedites the process. <laughs> That's one of my notes. Is how did it? Because you know he he kills him basically. He hits him in the back of the head, and then he hits him in the chest. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not like love taps. He like brutally hits him, and then the guy collapses. And then Travolta grabs the phone and says, "Hey, call the paramedics. He just had a heart attack." They have to be really incompetent. These paramedics, to not, not to notice the, the trauma to the back of the head. <laughs> exactly, and the chest. That's not a heart attack. This guy was murdered. Where was he? Travolta's office. Arrest him. <laughs> End of the movie. Uh, I think there's still bigger fish to fry out there. <laughs> we still got another hour of this movie left, anyway. So. That's right. Those paramedics say they got off with sloppy jobs. Yeah. Uh, the- We're talking about the same like people, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I guess the measuring stick is this state-of-the-art procedure they did. They left Travolta's face in a goddamn cooler out for anyone to just handle. So it's not like we're dealing with the most competent people here in this film. Um, So Good Cage, the real Sean, visits Eve at her home. She's obviously mortified right away because she thinks you're the one that killed my son. And uh, Good Cage basically does like a – it's an homage to Big – He's just like kind of going off about all these facts that you know only he would know type of thing. Uh, this would have been excellent if they sang the song from Big to like reconnect. Uh, no, instead he, I, I think that because it's basically it's almost two Oscar clips back to back or attempts at Oscar clips. Oh, I've got Oscar Cage. moment written in big, big, big letters here. But I think that the next scene, you know, when all it's said and done, I think that they were easier, gentler ways to break the news to his wife. Than just showing up completely disheveled, sweaty, bloody. Looking like the man that murdered her son. And he, he's got a bullet hole from the, the shootout, right. so he's he, like dying slowly. And, and then he lays it on to her like in the most... I mean, I understand the time of, is of the essence, but he knows that what he's saying sounds like bullshit. He's currently an hour and 20 minutes into leaving <laughs> Las Vegas right now. So... I, I don't understand what good it is. The, the key information he leaves for like the very end, which is check his his blood type. Yeah, he should lead with that. Right. Maybe just leave her a note saying, hey, check your husband's blood type instead of showing up wearing Nicolas Cage's face, <laughs> which might have drawn her to just having a complete panic attack and not listen to anything else you're saying. It would have been better if you just went, hold on, I can explain. <laughs> So, of course, she gets the hankling. She goes and tests the blood. And, of course, it's A.B., whatever. Uh, it's not Sean Archer. To be, yeah, right. yeah the, the opposite. She learns that Travolta is maybe not all he's cracked up to be. And then in my notes I have here in all caps, Oscar moment, where crying, dying Nicolas Cage recounts the tale of his first date with Eve. That would have been a nicer, a much nicer thing to say in their first meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Check check his blood, and also I'm about to prove to you <laughs> that I'm not. Uh, I think Troy. what he would just need to have done is taken out a picture of Gina Gershon and said, "See this? I turned this down. I'm devoted to you, <laughs> hopelessly devoted." Oh, as they say. <laughs> I think that would have been all the proof she would need. But no, of course, the tale of their first date. Lots of tears are flowing. Uh, she has to turn away before she can talk to him. Though. On Cage's side, mm-hmm. Joan Allen keeps it together. Until the end. She kind of starts weeping and then has to turn away because she can't look at him, though. <laughs> She's like, I've been having sex with the man that murdered our son. Well, she does have that line, that very uh, PG line, the way of churching it up, of saying, 
I guess Joan Allen was just like, I'm not saying fucking. Because she said, <laughs> she's like, we've been living as husband and wife for a week now. And then he says, oh, God. <laughs> so Eve knows what's up. Um, she leads on. She has a horrible poker face. And at this point, Bad Travolta knows that she knows. Uh, this is all leading to what I thought was the final showdown at the church. Essentially, the funeral for uh, the head of the FBI that Bad Travolta killed, or at least sped along God's process of. <laughs> so my question to you is, do you think Gina Gershon understands what's going on? No, I, I, think, okay. that, I think she dies believing that, Bad that that's Castro Troy. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that good cage is bad cage, and that he's taking care of her. Uh, or that he's going to take care of their son. I think she would be horrified if she found out that at the end of the movie her son is living with John Travolta. Right, the guy who made her life a living hell, apparently. Yes. Uh, I, I have a question for you. What's the point of Travolta? Because they're all at the service, yeah. right? And so Travolta's there with Joan Allen. John Allen made up an excuse so that the daughter is now there. Yeah. And uh, Good Cage is, I guess, in the back of the church. And he pays off one of the church boys to deliver a picture of his dead kid. Mm-hmm. Well, when he was alive. Um, to Travolta. Right? Yes. In, in the middle of the whole thing. Why? To let him know he's there. Why is he endangering everybody there? <laughs> he waits. Travolta waits, but that's like Nick Cage. I mean, I guess by now they I guess yeah, Travolta, bad Travolta could have just said "fuck this" and killed everybody, right? And and in fact, you know, he does the next best thing, which is he keeps Joan Allen as a hostage. Mm-hmm. I mean, in what world is Good Cage living where he thinks that him sending that picture is going to lead to just a duel between the two of them? Of course, Travolta is going to have Joan Allen as a as a hostage and then bring backup, which is what he does. So. It is the final showdown in the church that is now emptied, fortunately. Travolta and Cage both have guns drawn on one another, um, while Joan Allen is positioned in the middle. Tig from Sons of Anarchy just brings her in and throws her in the middle. And then Gina Gershon comes in, and my favorite line of the movie, John Travolta, Sasha, what the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) And she's trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then that homeboy that was taking care of the daughter comes into fray with his gun. I don't know who he was representing. He's no, he's with uh he's with Travolta. So he's with Bat Travolta. Okay. So he basically took the daughter hostage. Right, cuz okay. the daughter was supposed to be MIA, but okay. apparently these guys found her and brought her to the church. So essentially it's uh Nicolas Cage and Gina Gershon versus Bat Travolta and his guys. Well, and Joan Allen. It was, she's in the middle. Right. She doesn't have a gun, but but she she has the smarts. And as if Gina Gershon weren't the highlight of this movie, she goes out in the most noble way. She sacrifices herself to protect Joan Allen. And she falls on top of Castor Troy, or who she believes to be Castor Troy, good cage, and says, you know, take care of our son. And then she beautifully passes away. But this just leads to a massive shootout where we get constant shots of doves flying around like a painting of Jesus. It's one of the more John Woo things you'll ever see. It's it's just, as I say, John Woo taking the piss. <laughs> because I... I mean, this is we're past the two-hour mark in the movie. You'd think he'd try to expedite things yeah. a little. This was the perfect opportunity for it to just end. Yep. Because everybody dies except for Travolta. And it could have been – you could have just had it. Everything that happens 20 minutes later yeah. <laughs> could have happened here in the church. But instead, Travolta gets away. And 
yeah, there's a lot of doves flying around. There's when the dust settles. Oh, we forgot Travolta mocking the crucifixion of right, Jesus. Right, I yeah. was about to say we've been uh, we've had several shots of the Christ <laughs> and the several Jesus. shots of uh, of doves flying around in slow motion, and Travolta is still alive. He is because this isn't it. The shootout leads into the courtyard of the church, where the daughter doesn't know how to choose, so she shoots uh, Good Cage, fortunately in the arm because she's a, a poor shot, and then they. It's, they're on a pier somewhere. They fight off, and Travolta brutally murders this guy with a machine gun. He doesn't even, he can just like point the gun and say, Get out of your boat. I'm taking your boat. But no, he shoots him like a dozen times. I mean, he's been brutally murdering people for a while now because he also shoots the cops that show up, and, and uh, they're like, Sir, are you okay? And they, he just shoots him. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of innocent people that die. Right. Now, while this is going on, probably the most insulting moment in the movie comes when uh, Joan Allen uh, steps away from Gina Gershon's dead body, pulls out her cell phone, and calls the FBI and says, boy, do I have a story for you. (laughs) And instantly, my first thought is, why didn't she make this phone call before the bloodbath? Yes. If you're going to take the chance on telling this outrageous story, why not do it when they could easily apprehend Travolta before he kills everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Sir, this will be taken care of very quickly, we just need to check your blood. Yeah. Have a hundred guns pointed at him. But her emails, man. <laughs> there you go. Leads to a boat chase. They're both on the same boat. Uh, it's going at high speeds. We get some awesome shots of like one of them hanging over the side, the other one coming in. A lot of hand-to-hand combat. Eventually, they crash the boat. They hit like a ramp, Tony Hawk style, and they fly off into the, the shore. The boat turns vertical and then explodes. And then they're on the shore. They catch catch their breath for like a second. Words are exchanged. Uh, Does Travolta try to cut his own face off here? Is that what happens? Uh, Yeah, I think he was trying to destroy that beautiful, beautiful face. Okay. Evil Travolta, he's pinned. Okay. And uh, he knows the game is up. So his last act of revenge is to basically not give the face back. He tells Good Cage, you're going to hate yourself every time you look in the mirror. And he starts slashing, but he doesn't. That's like a for somebody who's supposed to be as fucked up as Castro Troy. Yeah, that's like a pretty amateurish slashing of the face. He goes around. It's basically he's doing the, the surgeon's job for them because yeah. he cuts around the face. If he wanted to really fuck with it, he should have just gone like vertical lines all across. But alas, a la Jaws, Good Cage, Sean Archer shoots Travolta with a spear gun. And it slowly, painfully takes Bad Travolta out of the equation. Uh, he did. He, he he dies singing. He does. He sings so sandy as he fades away. <laughs> Stranded at the drive-in. Uh, the FBI agents show up. They now, without any proof, or they may have proof, but they believe. No, what proof do they have? Tell me, Alex. I don't know. Joan Allen could have showed him the blood test. How do they know that that's even, like, Travolta. They didn't see the blood come out of Travolta or Cage or anybody. I, I don't know, but they show up and they're like, hello, Officer Archer. And then his voice changes back. And he's like, oh, my God, what'd you say? <laughs> and so, obviously, he's still hurt. Uh, Castro Troy's dead. They load them up in the ambulance together, which what a cheap fucking town. What an operation. You're hurt, so I'm gonna, you got to share an ambulance with a dead guy. 
And no, just that guy, the guy that was trying to kill you, that traumatized your family. That we need to make sure is dead because he once awoke from an ir- irreversible coma. And it's not over, Archer. <laughs> he takes his wedding ring, puts it on the rightful owner's hand. Uh, it's like another Joan Allen, before he, they load him up in the ambulance, she goes like, hey, they're bringing the top-notch doctors. They got to take care of this. It's going to be just like it was before the movie started. Okay, so I thought Dr. Jobs was this very special one-of-a-kind. Only I can perform this surgery. Yes. I mean, everything got burned, right? The technology, the equipment. They're everything. just bringing in someone who's really good at the skill claw, <laughs> the stuffed animal game. to just. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently in the time this movie took place, which I think is about a two, week. two weeks, yeah, if that, someone else learned how to do it. <laughs> So we're we're all good. They were so close to cracking it, and then they did. So we finally go back home. It's been a few days, if not a few weeks. Jamie and uh, Eve are waiting for their husband and father to return. Sean Archer, in all his glory, Travolta, in all his beauty, returns with the light beckoning behind him. So we just see the silhouette as he comes into focus. He's back to being good Travolta. He is. And then the last good act of good Travolta... He says, hey, this little boy needs a home, completely ignoring how the adoption process works and also, also the imminent danger it will put his family in. Also completely sidestepping a discussion with his wife mm-hmm. about, hey, do you want to have another kid? <laughs> another kid that... You know who Gina Gershon is? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, like, I know this has Caster Troy's genes, but also hers. Yes. So, eh, 50-50. <laughs> We've got a good shot at this working out all right. But they just accept it. They they don't even blink at the, the fact that he just brought a kid. And then Eric Clapton, if I could change the world, starts playing. I mean, Travolta, he hasn't been at that in that home for, you know, however long he's been recuperating. And they're, they're like criticizing him also for being like a vacant father and a vacant husband, not being there emotionally and not being there supportively. And then he's just like, joke's on you, bringing another thing into the equation. He's like, show him to his room. He what actually room? says that. Yeah, it's like, what? Are you talking about our dead son's room, <laughs> John? Oh, man. Yeah. And then it just ends. It's just so I can't even get past it because, you know, maybe if you wanted to give Travolta the benefit of the doubt, you would think, uh, oh, maybe he had that conversation with Joan Allen off camera when she was visiting him at the hospital or something. Again, criterion deleted scene. No, because at the end of in this final scene, after he's, you know, the, the daughter has taken the kid to the bedroom, he looks at Joan Allen and, and Mouse, he's like, okay. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took for them to adopt the kid. Well... That's that was face off. Logic off. Turn your brain off. Jesus. You got any more? I, I could, but <laughs> I'm not I'm not John Woo. I'm not gonna keep going and going and going. Uh all right, so before we go to real talk, I have a promo for uh Boozy Movies. And what is Boozy Movies? Uh, well, you'll find out during the promo, and then it's part of my plug, so we'll talk about it later. Welcome to Boozy Movies. 
movie reviews with a little booze. Each week, we get inebriated and opinionated, taking shots at one film, both literally and figuratively. Listen to Boozy Movies at boozymovies.com, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to join the conversation in our Facebook group, Boozy Movies Drinking Buddies. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Boozy Movies Pod. Recording for Real Talk. All right, Real Talk. So pretty self-explanatory segment of the show, but this is where we go and about our real feelings towards the film. Uh, mission statement of this podcast is always just to prove, especially like critics are today, anything can be argued, art is subjective, all that good shit. But this is where we come back around to how we really feel uh, about the movie. It's foibles. It's good times. All that good shit. Uh, this was Face Off, released June 27, 1997. Uh Pretty stacked summer, especially for uh, Nicolas Cage, who had Con Air come out three weeks before that. Now, standing at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes does mean that a large amount of the critics enjoyed it, but that does mean also there's some that did not. I actually, I'm going to read you all the quotes. <laughs> that are all negative. the negatives? Yeah, because there's just a handful of them. There's less negative quotes than the amount of positive quotes that I read on Contrarian's Corner. Interesting. Uh Rob Blackwelder from Spliced Wire says, a $100 million movie with a $3 plot. Oh. I mean, true, but still. Uh, Stephen Ree from Philadelphia Inquirer. It's a hell of a $3 spent, I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are like good $3. $3 you spend like a Taco Bell or Jack in the Box. Oh, they just go forever. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Ree from Philadelphia Inquirer says, for all its fiery explosions, Face Off just kind of implodes. Nope. Uh, Timothy Dugdale from Metro Times, Detroit, Michigan, says the visuals are impossibly glossy and the sound impossibly loud. Every frame glistens with that antiseptic precision of advertising. Even the slightest emotional vibration is writ in 100-point type. He did not buy Cage's Tears. Uh, David Serrett from Christian Science Monitor this is the ultimate Wu movie, but while his fans will enjoy every minute, others will find it too long, repetitive, and violent. There's some validity to some of that. Right. Uh, Eugene Novikov from Film Blather says, After seeing this numbing action flick, I'm still stumped what all the hype is about. So many critics and viewers around the country marveled at this movie, but for what? It's not a horrible movie, but it certainly isn't very good. 
Eh. Eh. Like your review. Uh, Barbara Schulglasser from San Francisco Examiner says, Style overwhelms any hope at discerning story or acting through the haze of burning, crashing, bleeding, and exploding. And finally, Robert Roden from Laramie Movie Scope gets the one quote that I think has, has a little bit of meat to it. Uh, he says, I think I finally isolated what irritates me about this movie. It is the fact that it promotes the idea that you can indulge in hatred and vengeance with a positive result. I don't think he got the movie. I think that I don't mm-hmm. think it applies. I no. mean, it's an interesting position to take. And really, if I really wanted to like work myself out, I would have tried to take that position in Contrarian's Corner. But so even if it is a story of revenge, it's still that Castor Troy is wanted by the FBI. It's not just like fucking Death Wish or something where he's going out of his way. Right. And and the end of the movie it's is Death Wish, right? With Kevin yeah. Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't Charles originally with Kate. Yeah, Jesus, before we get the death threats. Uh, the, that they've already remade again. Yes, Bruce Willis, right? Yeah. I wish I was dead. <laughs> hey. um, but yeah, the end of the movie with Travolta adopting the son of the man who murdered his own kid, I think that that's like Circle the ultimate. Life. Yeah, that's the yeah. ultimate olive branch. It has nothing to do with revenge. That's actually moving on. Yeah. Now, he had to kill Castro Troy to move on, but. Yeah, you had to crack a few <laughs> eggs, make an omelet. Yeah, uh, directed by John Woo, written by Mark Werb and Michael Collery. Uh, again, released just three weeks after Con Air was released in theaters. So, in the month of June, or excuse me, in the year of 1997, uh, Nicolas Cage's movies gro- grossed to fucking half of a billion dollars. Face uh, off budget of 80 million, box office return of slightly under 250 million. Uh, pretty good budget, but I can see where it all went, paying who's involved and like the stunts and all that shit. Uh, I thought I had seen this all the way through before. I guess I hadn't because like the ending, I didn't really remember. I know like the parts of it that I've seen before. I thought it was one of those movies that I had just seen in pieces over time to the point where I've seen the whole thing. Uh, but no, I hadn't seen this all the way through. So you didn't know that he adopted Cage's kid no. at the end? No. But did you see it coming? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, Michael. Michael. Um, well, the last thing Gina Gershon is like, take care of my kid. Yeah. Of our kid. Yeah. I don't know. I was lost every time Gina Gershon was on screen. Just Dreamweaver playing in my you, head. You answered for it. For Travolta. They were like, yes, <laughs> I, I will. will. <laughs> my God. What a beautiful woman. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because the first time I watched Face Off, I watched it in theaters, and there was a brain wrap. And I didn't get to see the end of the movie, much like you. <laughs> oh I, wow! Yeah, the entire once they got on the boats, there was a, just the screen melted, and uh, they didn't the, even the, like the film melted. They didn't fix it. And let y'all finish it. Nope. Uh, they it shut down. We waited for a little bit, and then they ushered us out. Uh, they didn't give us passes. They what? gave us they gave us keychains. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Was it a face-off keychain? <laughs> no, it was a. It was actually a Cinemark keychain. Fuck off. It, I'm, I'm, it was a front-row Joe keychain that I wish I'd kept because oh, it would sweet be sweet Jesus. Yeah, I just thought, oh well, there's many more in my future. How that must many have been a really bad brain wrap. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was like the kind that totally melts the whole thing. It didn't just shut down. Like we saw it melt. In the chance that you're listening to this and haven't listened to previous episodes or are not familiar with. <laughs> Film, literal film terminology, a brain wrap is basically when um, the film that's projecting 
for whatever reason, the platter that's dispensing it slows down or speeds up too fast. And what happens then is the mechanism, the brain that is feeding the film to the projector, it basically clots around it and gets tangled. And depending on how severe it is, it can be fixed in 10 minutes or it can take fucking an hour and a half to fix. So Right. You could arrive at the projector and find... I have a scar the- on my uh, left hand from a brain wrap. Which um, movie? Black Swan. <laughs> that's uh, kind of appropriate. <laughs> That's the night that um, the close. Basically, the long story short was um, I wasn't. I was there, left by myself, and someone had manned the alarm. And when I left, I didn't know that, so the alarm went off. My hands bloody, and I didn't have my uniform on because I would just wear my hoodie and jeans. And so I come out of the theater, and the cops are pulling up, and just like hi. <laughs> so well, thank God you were white. Oh no, shit! Especially in today's climate, it'd be pretty dangerous, especially out in Bee Cave. <laughs> All right, so bringing it back to the helm, though, with Face Off. Um, what a fun movie. I have joked to you as the movie was starting, and I realized how many times I've seen this movie mm-hmm. and how many more times I could still watch it and enjoy it, uh, that this is my Grease if we're talking about the summer of Travolta. You know, this is the movie that really, to me, is just not just fun, but I could just recite it almost verbatim <laughs> without looking at, at it. I, there's so many lines, and I, I'm i not much for quoting movies because I have a terrible memory, but mm-hmm. face-off, I will quote constantly. You did. Uh, you pulled an Alex on this because usually I quote movies along as we go, but Julio was busting out some quotes. The What was the first one you dropped? Oh, my God, you're keeping him alive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's only because we were – I don't know what we were doing. We were distracted when uh, – Peach, I could eat a peach for hours. Came on, it's, it's such a good movie, and it's so, it's really, I don't know. How do you feel? Who, who overpowered who in the acting department? Are you Team Cage or Team Travolta? So, I think you said it when we we're watching it. Like, the groundwork is laid for this to be a clean sweep by Nicolas Cage, but then John Travolta becomes the bad guy and like completely starts just. He's like, um, obviously not to this great of an extent, but he's kind of like the Joker with Heath Ledger. Like when he's not on screen, you're like wishing he was. And I was like, God, I wish Bad Travolta was on the screen dropping one-liners. I, I think, yeah, whoever's playing Castro Troy has the upper hand. Yes. In the, well, because he's more showy, but, and you acknowledge it while we're watching it, Nick Cage brings the bacon. Yes. <laughs> he, as Sean Archer, gets a couple of really emotional scenes that Travolta doesn't get to play as Sean Archer. Mm. So I think that that Cage wins out, not to take anything away from Travolta, but yeah. it's when you when I think of face off at least, I I think of the two scenes he has with Joan Allen where he explains or tries to explain the crazy stuff that's going on. The story of their first date's really good. Yeah. But also uh I think I even like it better the first time when he just breaks into their bedroom and he can't even bring himself to say the words mm-hmm. as he's recounting the plot. He's just he hears it. He hears how it sounds and it's fucking ridiculous. He like slaps himself in the face and then he grabs the kid's picture, like the the picture holder. Mm-hmm. And first he sees the kid, but then he sees the reflection. That that's right. Yeah, and he, yeah, like, yeah. he punches it. it. Down. It's yeah. just so good. Uh, well, and you know, Joan Allen is she does excellent work, just mostly reacting through the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I always think of those two as my favorite moments in the movie, and then there's just a lot of extras. Anytime that Travolta and Cage are interacting, it's just golden. The first scene of Reveal in the prison is awesome. Yeah, like just gawking at each other. 
and you're good looking. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Travolta's wonderful. Just like, like I was telling you, it's kind of upsetting he wasn't the bad guy more because he definitely has a lot of cadences and delivery to be the bad guy. You know, we have another bad Travolta in the future because we're doing Swordfish in August. That's right. It, different kind of bad guy, but still. He could have been the bad guy in an A-Team movie. I think it would have been awesome. To close out the trilogy. Yes, exactly. How do you top John Hamm? John Travolta. That's right. He'll be Officer Lynch for the third time. Or Detective <laughs> Lynch. Um, oh my god, it's the A-Team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I know you're trying to retire it, but I just keep bringing it back because it's too it's much It's so fun. easy, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, too. The supporting cast here is really solid, but... You have, like, it's such a fascinating viewing because you have these two titans of what are viewed in their own realm of, like, cliche, stereotypical acting. Um, they're almost like caricatures of themselves. I mean, the, oh, my God, and, like, that stuff where it all comes from. Yeah, Travolta has has quite a few Travolta moments when, she's, when he's playing Sean Archer. Yeah, and much like uh, Nick Cage has a lot of Nick Cage moments, but still, like, they completely dwarf everyone else that's in this movie just by their presence and delivery. It's like a movie that's so fucking ridiculous and downright just like stupid to a certain extent that it leads, uh, it basically opens the gates for performances like that to be like epic and very like iconic like they are here. Right, but at the same time, it could have just gone horribly wrong. Yes, it's a, it, it's one of those movies that is right on the rails. Right. I mean, it's insane because the story doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Listen to Contrarian's Corner and every plot hole we, we mentioned, we were not making it up. It no. really, once you stop and think about it, none of it makes sense. But you're having such a good time. It's like Obvious Child. There's not one character that questions that maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, or, or that maybe these people are not who they claim they are. Or maybe even even if somebody had just gone... I think John Travolta is losing his mind. Yeah. He went from being a guy that was burdened by the death of his son to being just this guy that keeps sexually harassing people. I was about to say, I know we weren't as, you know, woke or whatever you want to say. There wasn't the same type of movements going on in 97 that there is now. But I'm pretty sure you couldn't just, like, grope openly the grope the female employees in front of everybody and get away with it. Yeah, uh... It's a key part in front of everybody. That was like the one shot of it that I was like, eh, all right. <laughs> well, there is, I mean, oh, I was going to say Cage does it too, but it's it's the same character. <laughs> <laughs> Caster Troy does Caster it. Caster Troy does it. Uh, there is, I guess, you have, it's this formula that's very specific that will allow you just so much cheese before you go off the rails. And and they get it just right. Uh I mean, you're talking about the supporting characters, Gina Gershon and her brother. They're they're just great. They're a lot of fun. And I, I was telling you, I was reading in the trivia that that was like improvised by Gina Gershon and the gentleman that played her brother, the open mouth kiss. Uh -huh. And fair fucks to him because I was thinking about that while we were recording. It's like it makes no sense. It's weird, but it's easily one of the most memorable things in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, all right. Good for you. And it's like, okay, I guess that's how they roll in that family. Exactly. I like walk away from the movie not like worrying about the logistics of removing a face and putting it back on, but more like, what's up with Gina Gershon and her brother? <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent point, that the movie is full of memorable things that distract you from how little sense the plot makes. Yes. Right? Because, yeah, you're thinking of 
man, it's so cool when when Cage talks to Joan Allen and tries to explain the movie to mm -hmm. her, or it's just so cool when Travolta ties his dead brother's shoe shoelace, yeah. right? It's, and then you're like, what was up with Gina Gershon and her brother kissing? <laughs> Open mouth. Open mouth. What the fuck? You're talking to your buddies. 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, the movie is <laughs> over, and you're still like going over that. Hey, man. What was up with that? Uh, and also, John Woo, at least my experience with him, isn't someone that I would necessarily peg like a Cameron Crowe or a um, a director that you know, lays out the soundtrack with, like, a lot of intent behind it. But, like, that use of Somewhere Over the Rainbow is, like, somewhat haunting and very memorable as well. Yeah, I, I think I said on Twitter a few weeks ago, I don't remember how it came up, but I said, when I hear Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I think of Face Off. I don't think of The Wizard of Oz. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think of that little kid with the big yellow headphones and mm -hmm. just the nonsensical... Uh, move of leaving him by himself. <laughs> Stay put. I'll be right back. Yeah. Uh, trying to put this somewhere in the chronology of Travolta's box office appeal. So he was still a hot commodity here, but I think some of the luster from Pulp Fiction would have fallen off by now. Um, I'm sure by now he'd done some clunkers. Yeah, and Phenomenon, then... Broken Arrow. Uh... But I think Broken Arrow, I mean, I imagine it was... It has to have done well enough that, that it's fair. they gave Wu and him, like, well, it's like phenomenon we read. One. It's like it, it made money, right? That too. It's just yeah. I think uh, his star was kind of falling, but this was critically and financially a success. Yeah, I mean, maybe his star hasn't quite fallen, but he his uh, criteria for picking movies <laughs> was starting to slip. It's, it's a bit different, yeah. Uh, I'm, this is great. This is this might have been like the first John Travolta movie that I watched where I fully appreciated him as an actor. I, I'm sure I've seen him as something else before, but watching this in theaters, Vincent Vega. But still, like he doesn't carry Pulp Fiction, you know. He's he's part of the ensemble. I'm trying to think if there was anything else because I didn't watch Get Shorty until much later. Uh, this whole summer of Travolta again. I feel like we've said this every episode. We may literally have said it every episode. But it's like watching this. It's like how is this the same guy that was like in Look Who's Talking to, or of course Battlefield Earth? Uh, yeah, he he doesn't sing here. He sings a little bit, but not he doesn't as get he's the, dying as he's dying. Uh, well, no, he also sings when uh, he he's undressing his teenage daughter with his eyes. Oh. Yeah, I think that what's what the credit goes to both of them, but more so Travolta, since he's the focus of what we've been doing here for these months, is he he hits both ends of the spectrum. He's the apple pie good guy with the family and just trying to keep everything together, and then he's this fucking piece of shit bad guy. It's uh, it's fascinating, and it goes back to. I think so far, look who's talking is the worst we've watched, just because of how little he cares. Um, in ranking Travolta's performances, right? Yeah, but except for that brief moment where he comes alive and dances. Yes, which there's not a scene of on, or a good quality scene of on YouTube because I wanted to include that in the episode, but it was not to be. Um, but it goes to show also that even in like, like you said, a movie like this that is so silly on paper. He still, when he finds himself invested in something, he delivers no matter how ridiculous the plot or lines may seem. Yeah, I mean, this is just good Travolta. I want to say as his best. I mean, it's not as iconic as the other stuff that we've seen, like Pulp mm -hmm. Fiction and uh, even, you know, Grease or Hairspray. Uh, but it's just, it's solid. Yeah. It, you know, it's just like, make more movies like this. <laughs> 
Wait, was Thomas Jane in this? Was he the shaggy-haired prisoner? Who? No. Oh, shit, maybe he yeah, was. Yeah, I have the IMDb pulled up right now, and it says that was Thomas Jane. Wow. He was standing right there next to Travolta when he could have just killed him and saved the Punisher <laughs> from coming out ten years later. That is amazing. That's fucking wild. Wow. Yeah, I thought he looked familiar. Like I was going to say, is that the Highlander? <laughs> um, uh, Alessandro Nivola, that's the name of the guy that plays... Pollux Troy. Pollux Troy. Um, not Mark Wahlberg. Not Mark Wahlberg. And not like Liam we Gallagher. said, yeah, like we said, as we were watching it, that would have been a very different role if Wahlberg had gotten cast. Yeah. Because I, I can't imagine Wahlberg even trying to take it into this direction. And, and if he did, I don't think I would buy him as. Now, Mark Wahlberg is definitely someone who surprised me with some of the stuff he's done, but at the same time. Never in that direction. Yeah, exactly. Though. I, I mean, was about to say, I, I couldn't see something like that. Like. The happening is the closest I think I've I've seen him come to playing somebody that's not some sort of badass action star or yeah. like a tough guy and and Pollux Troy is just this introverted nerd. So I wonder if it was a case of Wahlberg passing because he knew that it wasn't in his wheelhouse, or if the character was originally pitched as more of a an action character, and then once Nivola got involved, they change it into this yeah which i find a lot more interesting the way it is here. oh yeah 100 percent. well it's stuff like uh you know during the movie travolta and his family sean archer has they have that move where they just lie the hand over yeah. each other's faces and that's one of the things that he uses to calm joan allen down and mm-hmm. be like it's me yeah uh that was not they came up with that the actors came up with that really which i think it's awesome yeah cage and travolta uh, i remember seeing a behind the scenes uh, on this movie a long time ago nice and uh yeah, they were saying that they they came up with it, and it becomes such a big part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Um, I did read that what it was originally intended for was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, which that would be the other movie we were talking about, where it like is just terrible and completely falls off the rails. Right, unless you just unless it's a comedy, and part of the joke is that they look nothing alike. Not to say that those two can't act, because clearly time has proven that they can, but I think together they it would just not mash up. Did you ever see Maggie, by the way? Arnold's so good in that. No, no. I, I know you plugged it, and I said I, it's on the list. Oh, it was one of the plugs. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's this movie is like all the things that people parody about John Travolta, but it works just because he's so good, and it's all the things people parody about Nick Cage. Difference being, it's like restrained a bit it's not like crazy wicker man nick cage or fucking ghost rider but he still is like super eccentric and crazy right the choices he makes even when he's playing sean archer mm-hmm. right and he's supposed to be the sane one or at least the the one that's not a comic book villain he still has those moments where he's on drugs and uh, it, but it like that's the thing what's so brilliant about it is all those nick cage isms work because right. you would be going fucking crazy right. if it, you were it, in that situation. It perfectly applies to the situation. The script allows him yeah. to have his cake and eat it. <laughs> yes. It's just like perfect cat. It's Penny Lane and Kate Hudson pretty much. Yep. And then you get to the end and it is ridiculous what happens at the end. Everything, right? From the moment that the fact that they restore Travolta, they just they just go back to the last save point and his body is back to normal. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and then that he just brings this kid, bypasses the process, and he just brings this kid in, and and the family is like, okay, cool. Yeah. All that stuff it shouldn't. I mean, it sets up a lot of alerts, 
alarms blaring. At the same time, you don't care because every time I watch this movie, I am so happy when just to see Travolta walk through that door. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay, he's back. It's over. He can hug his family. I think you just you hit the nail on the head with it. It's just one of those things that like it probably by all measures should be really fucking stupid. <laughs> but it because it embraces some of the stupidity and also just the performances involved, it ties it all together to be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I always also breathe just a sigh of relief once Joan Allen believes him. <laughs> once you clear that hurdle, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> he has somebody on his side. He's not alone. We're back. Um, we won't rank these yet. But we'll do. I mean, we've kind the... of been ranking them. We have, but now we're getting like into the higher numbers, so I figure we'll just save that for the Travoltes. So I will just ask: Is it better than Christmas with the Cranks? <laughs> with flying colors, yes, I, I can categorically say that it is better than Christmas with the Cranks. Definitely at the high end of what we watched. Um, I think personally, I like Grease, and then also. I don't think anything we do is going to dethrone Pulp Fiction, but we'll we'll find out in the Travoltes. It's true. It's definitely at the higher end of it. Um, for yourself, is it amongst the top that we've watched? Oh yeah, hands down. I, pff, dude, I'm struggling if I'm going to do. I, I guess I'll go with four point five stars out of five. Four point seven five. 4.75 maybe there there are a couple of things that bother me in that final sequence uh there's just so nitpicky uh you know there's so many moments in the in the boat action sequence where it's just so clear that there's some doubles yeah you know like almost shamelessly shooting their faces it's like that's not john travolta that's not <laughs> nicholas cage they're flying through the air and I mean, I would imagine the instruction was turn away from the camera so we can't see it. <laughs> Not happening. Not going to do it. No. Uh, which it seems, it just seems like such a petty complaint in a movie that gets so much of the action stuff right. Oh, yeah. Because that's the other thing. All the action sequences are pretty thrilling. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen them countless times and they still work. So I'll I'll go with a 4.5. Okay, that's your one nitpick. That, that'll take it down a That's bit. how I keep myself from giving it five stars okay. this time. I don't know that it'll work next time. That's the thing. Depends on the mood you're in. It can switch. Um, next up, recording tomorrow. I'm not even going to take down the recording equipment. We're um, watching... Basic. Basic. Okay. Basic. John McTiernan, uh, Sam Jackson reuniting with John Travolta. I, I, know, I know nothing about it. I, I will not say anything just so that it hits you uh, completely fresh. Uh, I'll be interested. I'm going to this thing cold. I'm probably not even going to do any research just so I can that's, know what's going on. That's awesome. I'll do I'll do the research just so that you don't have to. Very well. Uh, I'll just – when we're about to record, I'll just hand you the notes. <laughs> <laughs> just slide it, fold it across the table. Um, I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> so I don't have any plugs off the top of my head, especially since we're recording tomorrow. So I'll – do some due diligence to look into it. I do know you were going to plug what was it? Slippery Bubbles? What was it? What? No. <laughs> Drinky? Boozy Movies. Boozy Movies. Okay. Let me pull this up first just to see. There's there's a couple things that need to be addressed before we even get to plugs, Alex Mattis. Uh -oh. One of them is that I ran this week-long poll. Oh, I'm I saw sure, this bullshit I'm sure, news. I'm, I'm sure you voted in it. You took part in it. Um, there's uh, 44 votes as of uh, final results. And 
The question was, how do you organize your Criterion collection? A much debated topic here in uh, the Contrarian's we'll office. continue to be debated. Uh, so option one was alphabetically, like Julio. Option two was by spine number, like Alex. <laughs> uh, option three was by feeling, like Chaz, which was basically like the chaotic Yeah. Answer. I would probably have a panic attack if I saw his <laughs> DVD collection. And finally, option four, what's Criterion? And uh, so what's Criterion, shockingly, disturbingly, had 19% of the votes. <laughs> that was more than uh, the Chaz option. Only 9% of people just kind of throw their DVDs on the shelf like Apparently. Chaz does. Uh, but then once we get to the nitty-gritty, you versus me... I I win handsomely with 45% over your 27%. Monsters. Those of you are monsters. <laughs> so now Criterion was not released. It was released sequentially for a reason. They wouldn't be numbered otherwise. <laughs> that seems I mean, you're trying to tell me that Criterion has had this plan for as long as they've existed. Why would they the knew- first ones released be number one, two, three, four, five, six? Then? That's order of release, not order of put them on your shelf like this. But they have the number on it. All right, whatever. For historians, I'm sure, but that's not that doesn't mean anything. Are you going to put ketchup on your steak also? Something like that? I mean, if it needs it. Oh, Jesus. Um, all right, so that's... That's Psycho. Business number one. Uh, business number two is a little bit of feedback. Speaking of Chaz, he who doesn't really organize his movies, <laughs> uh, he called us out on two things for uh, on our Lucas Talking Two episode. One was that neither of us could come up with Chris Maloney's name. And now that I've said it, does that oh, sound familiar? Yeah. Okay, so that was Chris Maloney. Uh, you All know, right, th- he oh, got us there. And also. Did you know that John Travolta was a pilot? Yeah. I was being facetious and talking about that. Oh, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, now that he brought it, when he brought it up, I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds familiar. I always think of Tom Cruise as the Scientologist that likes to fly planes. Yeah. But yeah, Travolta also. No, that was that. There's a whole Simpsons bit about it. That's I, I think I responded to his tweet with a picture of the John Travolta and the Simpsons. Oh, well, he posted a picture of Travolta dressed as a pilot oh. in front of the airline that he used to fly. Oh, it was, that was just a promotional still from Look Who's Talking To. <laughs> Deleted scene. Yeah. Um, Where he's happy. Yeah. Oh, no, that doesn't match the tone of the movie. Cut that shit out. Um, number three, and this is kind of a kind of a plug, I guess. Um, I guessed it on another podcast, Alex. Yes. I Continuing the tour. Uh, the half a contrarians team tour i was in uh no excuses a podcast from our friend jenny nolf and her co-host mike shut um episode 68 they talked about network the gimmick of their show is that they show each other stuff that they haven't seen Mm -hmm. and uh network was a movie that i'd owned for i think two years our good friend brandon curtis gave it to me for my birthday blu-ray it's been just there Taunting me. It's just one of those classics that was just very uh, uh, intimidating. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, in the spirit of their show, I, I stopped making excuses and I watched it. And all I'm going to say is it's a great movie. Yep. If you want to know more about my thoughts and theirs, you can just listen to No Excuses episode 68. Are they on iTunes? Where do we find them? iTunes, 
everywhere else except except Spotify. We both agreed that, or we both commiserated together that we couldn't get into Spotify because we both use music that's not allowed in Spotify. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're great. Listen to it. Uh, there's there's a lot of really good conversation. They're they're not a comedy podcast unlike us, so they really take movies seriously. There's a lot to learn there. Hey, we do too. It just takes a while to get there. Right. It takes half the show yeah. to get there. And even then, we'll, we won't give up the Travolta <laughs> accent. Um, so that's it. Now, my actual plug is Boozy Movies, which is something that we actually plugged before, back when it was called Film Roast. These two really funny ladies, and I guess they're graduating from coffee to actual alcohol now. Uh, I don't know the story behind the rebranding of their podcast. I just know that they've changed the name now to uh, Boozy Movies, and they're officially relaunching on July 6th. Um, but you can find them on iTunes now and subscribe and listen to like their little 30-second promo. I imagine the first episode is going to explain why they went from film roast to boozy movies. Yes, I would hope so. <laughs> they got like the served, you know, they got served by, I don't know, the official film roast, <laughs> some conglomerate. We got to change it up. Season desist. Pour me a drink. Um, hey. Yeah, I imagined, I mean, I can't fathom them calling themselves boozy movies and not drinking during the recording, mm -hmm. which is usually a uh, cause of concern for me because I try to avoid. The, the podcast where people get drunk, yeah, because usually it's it's just not as fun no. as you it's think. My first foray into the podcasting uh, medium, uh -huh. yeah, it was just me and dudes drinking and talking about shit, and it's fun doing it. But then I like I can't listen back to it. It's like so cringe, right? It just becomes really self indulgent. But I think some people can make it work, mm -hmm. and I think these two ladies can make it work because they they're funny to begin with, and. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure they. I mean, they sound. I don't know them personally, but they sound smart enough that <laughs> <laughs> I think that they would know the how to handle it. Uh, so that's my plug. I you heard their promo, and I'll put the link up on the on the episode notes. Excellent. So Julio, it's going to be not even 24 hours before I see you again. We'll be right back here doing the same thing. But for you listeners, it's going to be spaced out by about two weeks. You know what? That's that's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with getting a double shot of Travolta this week. Oh, absolutely. After this, I'm wanting more, although I know when we meet tomorrow, I'm just going <laughs> to throw in the towel. So that's going to do it for Face Off. That's going to do it for episode number 62 of The Contrarians. Uh, Julio, I will see you tomorrow. Listeners, we will see you next time. As always, we appreciate your listen. Uh, but for the meantime... Oh. Yes? We'd like to thank... We would. We need to just fucking build this into our intro or outro. Uh, Festive Years for their opening and closing tracks that they provide us, Summer of 99, and uh, Our Last Stand is the one that opens us up. From the album Don't Let Me Use You. Yes, as always, appreciate their generous contributions to our podcast. Also, uh, Hansroth Geezer. Made our uh, awesome logo. Yes, he made our logo. He has a podcast named Nacion Combi. That's in Spanish. So if you know Spanish, listen to it. You'll learn a lot about Peruvian going-ons. We just beat we like like I you know I don't really care about soccer and I definitely don't qualify to take pride whenever Peru wins at anything. Uh, but they beat Australia fine, two to man. zero. Suck at chess. <laughs> I think that's the most I can get. The most joy I can get out of it is just that you know I can taunt all my Australian friends about it. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm anytime sure. Anytime I can tell Chaz to suck it, I'll jump on that. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Two to zero. Viva Peru. <laughs> Viva Peru and American Hustle sucks. Yeah, oh, two for two. Uh, but yeah, Hans, uh, he can also do your logo. So you can uh, reach him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S at hotmail.com. He's also on Twitter at mildemonios, same spelling. And I'll have links to all that stuff on the episode notes. And now we're good to go. All right. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And we'll get basic with you next time. I'm surprised you're you're allowed to work out there. To be honest, well, you know, I've uh, I've I don't behave that over there the way I behave over here. <laughs> There's no real talk in B Cave. Oh no, um, cursing is non-existent. <laughs> A lot of yes, sir. <laughs> my name tag is my uh, citizenship papers. Oh Jesus, I'm just wearing it just so like all the customers come. All right, checks out. <laughs> Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful.